Hi everyone, welcome to our third chapter of the podcast. Today we will talk about stories, myths and legends in China and in Colombia. What we're going to do this time is that we found one story, one myth and one legend from China and the same for Colombia. We're going to read the summaries out loud to share them with you and then we're going to comment on what we have uh, read and heard from the other country. So Alejo, why don't you start with the story from Colombia? Well, for the story of Colombia, uh, I chose one of uh, the popular writer, writer Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So basically the plot, uh, it's, it's really simple. Well, kind of simple. <laughs> so Chronique of a Death Portold describes the murder of a young man, Santiago Nazar, and the events leading to his death. It also follows some of the character's life after he's killed. The murder occurs uh, following Angela's vicarious wedding night where her wealthy husband, Bayardo San Roman, discovers that she is not virgin. San Roman returns, uh, returns Angela to her family, where she is brutally interrogated for two hours. In the, in, in the context of this story, uh, not being uh, losing your virginity before, uh, being, uh, before your wedding was something terrible, was, was something that couldn't have a pardon. So, uh, well, uh, San Roman returns Angela to her family. Uh, she's interrogated. Uh, finally, she confessed that Santiago Nazar was the man who uh, deflowered her or take out her virginity. So uh, much evidence through the story suggests that this accusation is false. However, Angela's brothers, Pedro and Paulo Vicario, take her word for it and kill Santiago in broad daylight in a crowded public square. Having armed us with the foreknowledge of a murder, Garcia Marquez relate relates the event leading up in in non in non chronological fashion. He describes the wedding of Angela Vicario and of Vicario and Bayardo San Roman, the greatest celebration the town has ever has ever seen in decades. Bayardo fa Bayardo's father was the famous general of the civil of the civil war, General Petronio San Roman, and his family was very well wealthy. The formal festivities in the wedding end at 6 p.m. when Angela and her groom leave the consuming their marriage. The public stays, however, drinking and dancing until midnight. Some of the wedding guests, including Santiago Nazar, his friend Cristo de Doya, and the narrator's brother, continue revealing even after midnight, even spending time at Maria Alejandrina Cervantes' brother with the Vicario twins, who do not yet know of their sister's disgrace. Following Angela's confession that Santiago Nazar took her virginity, her twin brothers decide to kill him. They announce their, their plan to anyone who will listen. In part, it seems to allow someone to stop them or warn Santiago. Everyone behave, uh, uh, behave as though someone else will have the revenge, a local police officer, the mayor, the butcher, and even the local priest all knew of the murder plot, but no one stops it. By six o'clock a.m. of the day of the following day, everyone in town knows the twins are going to kill Santiago. Santiago himself, however, is still unaware. A few try to warn him, including Cristo Bedoya, who has spent the morning with him. Cristo finds out too late, however, and cannot find his friend to warn him at time. Eventually, the father of Santiago, fiancé, warns him of the plot. He is extremely confused 
as to why the Vicario twins want to kill him, and his fear leaves him so shaken up that he cannot even find his way back to his house. The Vicario brothers spot him. While he stumbles through town, Santiago springs to his door, with unfortunately his luck, due to his mother's belief that he was safe at home and her desire to keep the Vicarios away from him. Pero Pablo catch up Santiago and stabs him to death against his own door. After, mother, after the mother, an angry group of Arabs, with whom Santiago's father immigrated, chase the Vicarios into a local church. The twins give themselves up and are locked in prison. The Vicario family, meanwhile ashamed by the whole ordeal, leaves town in disgrace. The twins are tried three years later and acquitted because the murder had been an honor killing. Upon his release, Pablo marries his fiance, Eprudencia Cortez. Pedro reenlists in the army and goes missing in the enemy territory. Meanwhile, the story of Bayardo and Angela unfolds as well. Bayardo and San Roman nearly drink his, himself to death following the revelation that his bride was not a virgin. He's taken away from the town in a boat by the, his mother and two sisters. Meanwhile, Angela realizes, while she's being beaten by her mother, in fact, that she loves Bayardo. After coincidentally seeing him in a hotel a few years after their annulled marriage, she begins writing him a letter every week. One day, 17 years later, Bayardo shows up at her door with one suitcase full of clothes, indicating that he was, he was, he wants to marry her and return with her, a one full of her unopened, unopened letters. So that's basically basically the story. It's kind of a large summary, but it's really interesting like uh, to hear, uh, well, the story of our great writer of Colombia that was Gerli Garcia Marquez. I really find it interesting that everybody in the town knew that Santiago was going to get killed, but nobody was able to tell him anything. It reminds me about something I learned in psychology this year, which is called bystanderism. So bystanderism is the fact that... Uh, in when there's something which requires action and nobody acts to prevent it or nobody acts in any way to stop it and it's quite interesting how uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is able to portray this type of behavior in a very very small time such as the one in which the story is carried out I agree. I agree. It's really interesting to think that, well, finally his friends knew about what was going to happen. But, well, it's it's kind of funny, well, in my perspective, that every, every people, every person in town knew, including the sheriff, uh, the Pope, people like that. And they really didn't care because it was like an honor kill. So they have, like, it's strange, but they have the right to kill him, apparently. Because he take the virginity of her, of her, his sister, her sisters, his sisters, her sister. So it's really interesting, actually. Uh, well, not interesting. Uh, the fact is that one needs to take into account the context in which the, in which the story, as you are calling it, is occurring. As uh, during this time in Colombia, is the story located in Colombia? Yeah, the story located in Colombia, if I'm not wrong, around the 20th century. Okay, so in this time, um, virginity is considered the most important thing for a woman. A woman which is not virgin, as you said earlier, 
before her marriage day is considered unworthy of absolutely anything. And it's quite horrible how not only Angela was stripped out of her life, because basically until the end, 17 years later, in which Pajardo Sada and Roman comes back to her, she basically wasted her life. And she it's her fault that Santiago Nazar was killed. It's also interesting the fact that they never tell us who actually takes her virginity, do they? Because we know it's not Santiago or Pajardo, but we don't know who it is. And I find that quite interesting. Yeah, it, I think it will be a mystery. <laughs> yes. Okay, in case of China... So tell me the story of China. Yes, I'm going to talk about something uh, more childish, maybe. <laughs> it's not about a murder, definitely. Uh, I'm going to discuss or tell you all about the true story of Mulan. So it goes like this. Once upon a time, a long time ago, there lived a girl in ancient China named Mulan. Mulan's father was a retired general. He had come home sick and frail. He was too old to fight, but not too old to teach Mulan how to ride a horse and use a sword. Girls usually did not learn these skills, but Mulan's father believed everyone should know how to fight, even girls. One day, the government official sent warriors to Mulan's village. War was coming. Men were needed for the army. The military leader of the group posted a list of names in the village square. Each name represented one volunteer, one man from each family. Mulan saw her father's name on the list. She knew her father would never survive another battle. Mulan's brother was a young child. There was only Mulan who could take her father's place. But the military did not take girls as replacements for fighting men. Quietly, the next morning, before her father could report for duty, Mulan stole his armor. She disguised herself as a man. She reported for duty. The warriors accepted him in her father's place. Later that day, as all men taken from the village marched away, Mulan saw her father standing side by side of the road. Mulan saw her father standing by the side of the road, shaking his head in confusion. He had reported for duty, but he was told that he was not needed anymore. That made no sense to him. He had not yet returned home. He did not know that Mulan was missing. Mulan was very careful over the years. No one ever suspected that she was a girl. When the war was over, Mulan received a special award from the, from the emperor himself for her outstanding courage. The emperor gave her a horse and a bank full of wealth and wished her a safe trip home. Her family greeted her with joy. Her brother was delighted with the gift of the military clothes. He dressed in them immediately. Mulan dressed once again in the clothes of a woman. That evening, Mulan and her family gathered together to watch the sunset. A few days later, two of the men who had served with Mulan stopped by her home. On their way home, stopped by her home. When Mulan came forth to greet them, they could not believe their eyes. One of them shouted, You are not Mulan. What have you done with our friend? After recounting many memories, they finally believed that Mulan was a woman who had fought by their side in many a battle. They spread Mulan's story across China. Mulan's story inspired many young women who demanded to learn how to ride a horse and use a sword, just like Mulan. So this story is very beautiful because it happens in uh, traditional ancient China. And it's beautiful because it empowers women to take what is theirs and to 
understand that nobody can take absolutely anything from them. What do you think? Yeah, it's empowerment. I, I like that. I like that because it's like, uh, well, in a society was that we had many problems uh, with men and, and, girl and, and women. Like a woman who was different, that was empowered, that knew what she wanted, that was, uh, well, she risked things for getting where she wanted was she at least uh, was a was a story as you said but i think it's really interesting to see the empowerment behind that and uh, the the fact that that it costs all around china yes and uh, it's not only around china it also got further than that because actually the disney movie mulan disney movie the story is not far any in any circumstance is not at all far from the real story. So it's actually quite amazing how can a mm -hmm. story from one side of the world uh, have the enough impact to get to the whole world, right? Because, yeah, it's the same story in the movie. And a lot of you might be thinking like, wait, this is not a Chinese story. This is Mulan from Disney. But no, well, actually, it is a Chinese story. And that's quite impressive. So, so the cricket and the dragon and all that stuff was kind of the same? Well, that is a lot of fiction. Just kidding, just kidding. Good. <laughs> just kidding. About the myth. What myth did you find interesting from Colombia? I've heard that Colombia has a lot of myths, actually. Yeah, indeed. It has a lot of myths. So, well, I'm going to talk first of all about uh, La Llorona, that is one of the most important myths in Colombia. So uh, it's, it's really short, this story. So uh, the legend of the La Llorona uh, reaches, uh, well, it's not only from Colombia, it's like from all Latin America, yeah. But, uh, well, it's, it's uh, known in, in different uh, contexts. So here in Colombia, it is said that the Llorona, yeah, is, is dressed in a black robe, her hair, is long and black. She said to carry crickets, fireflies, butterflies, and other insects. Those who have seen her say that she carries a dead baby in her arms. Uh, it is supposed that the, the, the spirit of the Yorona is a woman who is said to have lost or killed her children. She wanders uh, throughout the lagoons, rivers, valleys, and mountains looking for them. Originally, uh, originally, is the story of a beautiful young indigenous woman who was said to have fallen in love with a Spaniard. They kept their relationship, their, their relationship in secret, but still fathered three children together. Sometime later, the Spaniard marries a rich woman from Europe. The contemptuous native kills her three children. She repents immediately and throws herself into the river in front of the gate of heaven. She's rejected and sent back to earth. Since then, her spirit has been wandering around, lamenting with his painful and familiar cry, my children. So, is she supposed to be looking for her children? Or is she actually taking children away? Well, what I've researched... Yeah, well, we don't know if this is true, right? Because it's a myth, true. right? So yeah. Probably it's, it's not true. true. But what is it that but they say? That they, she takes away children as well? So she looks for her children and in her confession and in, uh, well, uh, the desperation of her soul, she's taking other, other people's children. 
That's quite、um, scary. They, they disappear, so we don't know if they, they, they get killed or they just go to heaven. Well, we don't know. But, well, it, it's just a myth. So it's really interesting to see the culture of Colombia being so spooky. That's actually really, really scary. And it's really different from what I have for a myth in China, actually. The Chinese myth is all love and romance, and all, it's really like, cute. And it's quite interesting. Oh, I want to hear it. So, the myth I found for China is called the myth of the white snake. This ancient Chinese myth tells the story of a powerful female. Again, we see female empowerment, which is great. The white snake. So, this powerful female is the white snake demon, who lives underwater but takes human form as Madame White or Bai Su Zhen. After Bai falls in love with and marries a mortal man, Shu Xian, a Buddhist monk, Fa Hai reveals her true identity to her husband. Fa Hai later kidnaps Shu and traps Bai under his lakeside pagoda, but not before she gives birth to her son with Shu, who will eventually free his mother. There are various versions of the myth of the white snake, and this myth has evolved over the centuries from a horror story、uh, in which Fa Hai battles the evil snake demon and kills her. To romance, which focuses on the thwarted by genuine love between Shu and Bai. So, first, it was scary, like the Jonona,、um, because the serpent was killed and battled because she was a demon, she was evil. But then, with time, the myth has、uh, been reshaped and it focuses on the love story between Shu, the man, and Bai, the demon, the demon serpent. So it's transformed from a cautionary tale to a tale that celebrates love. The transformation of the myth is accompanied by the transformation of the focus. The center shifts from the monk to the snake, just as the snake transforms from something venomous into a creature of beauty. The grotesque of the monstrous gradually gives way to the emotion and feeling of the otherworldly. So they celebrate the fact that. A serpent, demon, and a human being can actually be in love, and love can win over absolutely anything if you are just willing to fight for it. Well, I think it's really interesting if we see the perspective more of love, the more like of the snake.、Uh, the snake is seen in, well, in the culture as a demon, so it's very interesting because the snake is the original devil himself. In the Bible. Yeah, it's the original、so、it's scene, to, right? To, yeah, the original scene. So it's interesting to hear that.、Uh, it's, it's, it's metaphorical. And yes, yeah, it's、I、a myth. It's, it's really nice. Yes, it's actually cute. I really liked it, you know. And again, it's interesting how we see again woman, female empowerment in the myth. So、uh, the thing that I, that I chose for Colombia, well, it, it's again really simple. It's called El Silbon. So,、uh, The Whistler is the traduction of El Silbon. It's a truly disturbing legend from the Janos. The Janos is a place here in Colombia. The eastern place,、uh, the Janos is well, it's located in the eastern、uh, border with Venezuela. The story goes that a wicked young man killed his father in an angry rage when he didn't bring home the deeper heart he was craving. He brought back his father's organs instead, but The family suspected the evil act. His brother punished the evil man by whipping him and throwing hot pepper on the wounds. 
then send an angry dog after him to continue the punishment. So now, El Silbon, a creepy six meter tall gaunt figure, hands the Llanos at night carrying a large bag of bones, said to be his father's. You know, he's surrounded by, by hunting whistle, which sounds distant when he, he's near to you, to you and, and vice versa. If he's near, it is, often, it is often too late. He picks a home doorstep to stop and count his bones, and if you don't listen, someone in your household will die at sunrise. So pay attention. Interesting, uh, when, you know, in, interestingly, most sites of the Silbon are by drunk men stumbling around and night. I think it's coincidence. <laughs> so it's just a, it's just a legend, you know. This is horrible. <laughs> it's so creepy. I had never heard of this before, actually. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's scary. Ah, debatable. <laughs> Maybe just a story that someone created for his children. No, the beautiful story for children. Wow, I love it. I'm yeah, going to use it. It's cute. Definitely. Wow. It's really different again from the legend I have chosen for China, which is called The Legend of Shadow Puppets, which is actually kind of like a story of shadow puppets. The story is uh, located a long time ago, in which there was a woman in one of the many kingdoms that made up ancient China. She was a very special woman, as she told the best stories. She was married to the emperor. She was, in fact, his favorite wife. You know, uh, emperors were allowed to marry more than one female. The emperor yeah. loved her stories. He loved his wife. Sadly, one day, the emperor's wife became ill and she died. Everyone thought the emperor would soon find another favorite among his wives. But the emperor was very sad. He spent more and more time in his garden and less and less time caring for the needs of his people. Everyone in the kingdom was worried. They were afraid that another clan might hear that their emperor had become weak. That would never do. A warning, a warring clan might attack the city. Many could die. Something had to be done, and soon. One day, a priest passed some children playing with their dolls. The dolls made dancing shadows on the wall of the city. This gave the priest an idea. He knew the stories the emperor's wife used to tell. What if he could tell these stories to life? What if he could bring these stories to life? The priest made a puppet out of bits of clay. He painted the puppet to look somewhat like the emperor's wife. When the puppet was finished, the priest slipped into the emperor's garden, carrying his puppet, a candle and a curtain. He placed the curtain near the emperor's chair. He placed his candle, his puppet and himself behind the curtain. He waited for the emperor to appear. The emperor did not even notice the curtain at first. It was the dancing shadow that drew his eyes. As the priest moved the puppet behind the curtain, he told wonderful stories of the emperor's wife. The priest told the story she used to tell, one of the emperor's favorites. The emperor was entranced. He knew the priest was there. He knew the puppet was there. But it seemed as if the shadow was telling the story, as if his wife was spending time with him again. The emperor was no longer sad. At the end of each busy day, the emperor went into his garden, eager to visit his shadow wife and hear her stories once again. And that is how the shadow puppets first began. So shadow puppet shows are very common in China and very traditional. So this is kind of like the legend of how it all started. Again, 
it all revolves around the woman and though it's not empowering though it's not though it's not empowerment anymore it is love and actually i can uh see that love is a really common theme in the myth the legend and the story i have told mulan's love for her father led her to fight in war the white snake's love for the for the human made her fight for mm -hmm. it and uh, the emperor's love for the wife uh made his people to be worried about him and come to a solution for him not to be sad anymore and it's actually beautiful the amount of power that love is given in uh, chinese culture and i had not realized that before and yeah i i i find it beautiful and really interesting and yes it's it's nice what do you think uh, i think that colombia maybe it doesn't have that love it's maybe more than uh like scary things or uh living in a certain fear maybe yeah so it's, it's, it's interesting to see the the both perspective uh, uh i don't have a i i wouldn't choose one because i think both are important but certainly maybe living with the fear will be interesting not for all the time <laughs> yes well as always it was really fun to talk about china and colombia and i'm really glad that we got to this topic as i think it's the one i've liked the most until now i hope you all like it and see you in the next episode which will be about extracurricular activities bye Bye. Remember, next episode we have our special guest.